Hello and welcome to Radio, a podcast produced by myself, Ross Drakes, and my co-host, Rich Mulholland, who's only here in spirit. <laughs> this is a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs, where we unpack the journeys and the lessons of entrepreneurs and um, share them with you so that you can learn from their mistakes and put them into your business tomorrow. I'm here today with the CEO of Net Florist, Ryan Bacher. Welcome. Thank you for joining. How's it, Ross? Nice to be here. Nice room and nice view. And yeah. Nice space. Fancy offices. <coughs> yeah. So we always start, we ask everyone the same question. Give us your elevator pitch. Oh, God. You mean for the business? Yeah. Wow. Um, Is this how long it's been since you've elevated? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <coughs> if, I, if I ever have, I don't know. Um, so, wow. Um, I didn't know I'd be able to give a punt. That's kind of what it is, right? So, I guess if you, guess if you need a gift delivered in South Africa, I, th- I think we're the best at what we do. In other words, the range, the convenience, the... Um, the fastness of delivery and um, and hopefully the experience on the site I, I think I th- yeah I, th- I think that's what we do and hopefully we do it well cool so now so how did you you know like when you're a small boy with like flowers your passion like how did you can you give us a little bit of your kind of your origin story as to how you've ended up here um, at the uh, earning the, the best gifting shop online in South Africa? Yeah, I, I wish it was calculated. Um, it's completely random. I, uh, <clears throat> I went to law school in South Africa and I finished and I didn't want to, I couldn't face going, getting into a suit and tie. So I, um, I, I left South Africa for about three years. I worked for a hotel group called Club Med which is completely random. I was a tennis coach because I played a lot of tennis. <clears throat> and I went to live in America afterwards for a while. Liked the idea of kind of living outside of South Africa for a bit. And when I came back, I joined an internet company. It was early on in the internet days, ISPs, and I joined. And in that space, we, <clears throat> we were asked actually by Macro to build their e-commerce website, which was in 1999. And we knew nothing about e-commerce. Nobody did. And we thought, well, instead of kind of bullshitting them, telling them we know what you're doing, we, we instead said to them, well, we're going to build something. We'll sell it. We'll get it delivered. So we understand how that works. And then we'll help you. I think they appreciated the honesty. <clears throat> and the reason why we picked Flowers was because we looked overseas and there was a company, there were very few websites around in that time selling anything. And there was a company called 1-800-Flowers that had gone online and kind of looked pretty easy as a test case just to... And I wish it was a fancier story than that. And that's it. And 20 years later, we're still selling flowers and related stuff. That's how it started. There was no, I had no affinity to flowers. I'm not sure I have affinity to flowers now. I mean, I can appreciate them, but no more so than you, I don't think. So, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's been more about the entrepreneurial journey and e-commerce, which I've got a bit of an affinity for and customers. And it's been more that rather than the actual product we sell, I think, and the brand. Brand has been a, a fun, a fun ride. I Can think. you talk a little bit about so? So you picked this thing that was going to be uh, easy, that looked quite easy to deliver. Like, what what was it like 
setting it up and and what were the the lessons that you learned because my understanding of flowers is they're not as simple yeah. as you might think they are <clears throat> it's true so we actually landed up picking something that was remarkably difficult but we didn't know it would be that <laughs> and and also we had no intention of having this business right the, the, the idea was to sell a few deliver them shut that thing down and go to macro and say we'll build your website and then we'll build everybody's websites i mean it was really a a b2b play in building other people's sites so we didn't think that through at all and and initially it wasn't difficult at all because we we we, were, we walked into a florist in santon when we built the website and his name was john that florist doesn't exist anymore he was a lovely guy and i said to him <clears throat> um we're going to get some orders for flowers and we're going to need these things delivered what do we do so he said yeah no problem you just fax me the order, pay me, and I'll deliver them. And I said, what if it's not in Santon? He said, no, don't worry, I'll still get them delivered. And I actually didn't ask him, how? Like, I, I didn't... <laughs> so when we got our first order for Cape Town and then for nail sprays, I don't know, I didn't know then how John got those flowers delivered. I knew for sure he wasn't getting in his van and driving to Cape Town. <clears throat> Turned out there was this company called Interflora, it's a, like a relay network, and he was working via them, but I didn't know that at the time. And so actually in the early days, it was remarkably simple. We got an order and we sent a fax to a guy called John and flowers got delivered somehow. Um, be, <laughs> <clears throat> which is insane. But, um, but as, we, as we started to take the business more seriously, which happened about a year later, we started to realize that that, that system has its, has its pros and its cons like every system. And um, we, we started then understanding the supply chain and where there was an opportunity to do it better and disrupt it a bit and all those kinds of things. And then it got hard because <laughs> once we put ourselves in the middle of that process, so then we really didn't know what we were doing. It took us a long time to learn. We're still learning. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, it was amazing. This guy John just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And he did in an average way. And so we've been working to make that better for a long time. But isn't it interesting that average in the beginning is better? infinitely better than not at all that's firstly and secondly <clears throat> the market standard then was average yeah. that was the market standard so you could say it wasn't average it was good because if that's the standard then that's what it is but once we started to build a customer base and try and get customers to reuse us many times we understood that we we had to raise that level and um <clears throat> and actually when we did that we, when we started to do that, we changed from your classic e-commerce company to your classic not e-commerce company. Because up until that point, we were the normal story. You know, a few guys in front of a computer, um, never seeing the product, never touching the product. And now we have five warehouses around the country and we only touch the product. We don't outsource pretty much almost anything. So <clears throat> the journey is kind of doesn't look like an e-commerce company anymore. And that's fine with me. But that's... The dream in 2000, 2001 for most companies was we'll sell this thing and we'll never touch it. And that's the most brilliant yeah, retail thing. Make, right. Just make tons of money. <clears throat> right. And, they're, they're, and, and eventually that hasn't worked well. You could say marketplace is a little bit like that. But even that, Amazon bring that stuff into their warehouse. So yeah, the, the, the concept of true drop shipping actually has been less successful than originally envisaged. And for us, we don't play in that space. Okay. 
Yeah. And what are I mean, what are what are some of the, the pickups you, you encountered along the way from suddenly now you, you need to learn all about the distribution chain of flowers, where they're coming from, how they get places. You know, can you tell us a little bit about about that as a a journey? How long is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We could leave here at three in the morning. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we ah, they, ah, they, they, there's, there's so many crazy stories, as every business has, as they grow and scale. I mean, I remember in <clears throat> 2000 and it was 2003, it was our first venture into doing stuff ourselves. So <clears throat> we hired a, um, for Valentine's Day, thought, because we had kind of, we were outgrowing our suppliers. So we thought, We'll bring a bit of it in-house. So we created this concept of flowers in a box and uh, got the boxes made and <clears throat> you needed some kind of cold chain in the box. So we put some ice in the box and like an ice pack and we, were, and we rented a warehouse um, on a small farm and you know a few of us went there and we started packing these flowers uh, together with a few people in the warehouse. And it was the 13th. Orders were in, <clears throat> these things had to go out. And um, we started to realize that the ice packs were melting much faster than they were supposed to melt, firstly. And secondly, they weren't, um, they weren't like waterproof. So what was happening was they were melting, water was getting into the box, um, and the box wasn't a great quality. It was like, you know, and it was basically becoming like paper mache. So so these flowers were being put onto the courier to be delivered around the country in boxes that were just disintegrating. Just and and, and, and there was nothing we could do. There was no, there was no plan B. Yeah. So these things went out. It was, it was it was a disaster. I mean, we were watching. We were packing them, and the cardboard was like crumbling in our hands. We were just like hoping like there were angels along the way going to keep these things fresh. Of course, that didn't happen. We've had many experiences like that because. What we've tried, we've generally been the first to try. What we've learned over time is to test much more thoroughly. And in the early days, testing was like, who tested rubbish? Just start. So we test a lot more. But in the early days, we did stuff off the cuff a lot. And some worked and some didn't. And our customers paid the price for that, which <clears throat> was terrible. Just, uh, you know, it was terrible. But we were growing and we were doing innovative stuff. So there was the good of it and the bad of it. And, you know, we kind of came through it. But loads of those examples. So like you've loads. become a lot more intentional about how you develop product now. Like how, does your, how does your testing process look like? <clears throat> so I'll, gi I'll, gi I'll give you a sense of that. And we moan about it a bit, but it's also a, it's, it's, it's a necessary maturity in a way. So I used to, <clears throat> you know, I'd see something in a magazine. I'd see a, I don't know, um, a new way of doing a fruit basket whatever. <clears throat> I'd come to work the next day and I'd speak to a head of merchandise, say, his name's John. I'd say, John, I love this. Can we have this on the site? So he'd say, yeah, it'll take about two weeks. I said, no, that's too long. I'm sending out an email next week. Like, we need it up in three days' time. So, you know, make this thing, <clears throat> send the specs out to everybody who needs to then deliver it, photograph it, get it on the site. We're sending an email on Friday. We want it. And, and it happened, right? But of course, there's such a consequence to a business of working at that pace, all the things that don't happen, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when we come up, now our merchandisers 
are sitting in range of reviews for stuff that will go live in March. So if I want something live now, practically I can't do that. And, <clears throat> and that's correct, actually. It's actually right for the business. It's a bit frustrating, but it's correct because then it'll be done properly. Instead of me hacking the system and saying, well, I'm the boss, you do this and that, and then the result of it is not good, actually. So that's the difference. We were three days, now we're seven, eight months okay. out. And, but it's done properly, and that's good. But and you don't wield your CEO <coughs> power and walk in there and be like, uh, I demand this right now. It's no, I don't. I don't I'm, I, hopefully, I didn't, hopefully in the early days, it wasn't so much demand as everybody was excited about new things, and so it was easy. But now we've got kind of a merchandising team who will push back. And that's very good. They'll say, look, we can have this thing quicker, but it's going to come at the expense of something else. So right now we're working on Mother's Day range. You know, if you want this range quicker, well, then we're going to have to take out some new stuff for Mother's Day. So it's a choice like everything else. Yeah. Whereas before, <clears throat> the mentality, no, we'll do all of it. We'll, just, we'll do all of it, which is not real. But I was very immature. I mean, I'm not sure I'm that mature now, but I was super immature then about how businesses work and that, there's a trade-off with capacity and resources always. And um, with getting things done correctly versus speed, these are trade-offs. And uh, we're a bit more mature. So now it's interesting, so you've kind of you've matured as a business, I'm just trying to do the maths. You guys are almost 20, 20 years old. 20 years old, 20 yeah. 20 years old. Um, do you think that young business in 2003 could have, existed with the same level of intention around product development? No, <clears throat> I don't. I, I would suggest that um, we probably should have been mature slightly earlier on, but no, I, th I, think, I think initially <clears throat> it's about the speed is super important. I mean, the benefit of being the incumbent has been enormous in our business. I, I, I you know, I often go to uh, do some talks and stuff, and people will say, like, do you have any competitors? Like, is there anybody else out there? And there are other people, and there are the credible people, and they know what they're doing. <clears throat> but the benefit of kind of having being first, mm. it's worth a tremendous amount. In you can't, you can't spend the marketing you'd need to to offset the incumbent. It's, it's just worth so much. And, and you have to be quick, and you'll stuff up along the way, and hopefully you'll stuff up not enough to kill the whole concept, right? So no, I don't think our journey should have been different. Maybe we should have been mature a bit earlier because we were fly by nightish probably too late. <clears throat> but no, I think, I think that's the nature of an entrepreneurial space, I think. And also, do you have that same, uh, you've got this very kind of intentional development of your, your new products <coughs> in the kind of flower side. Do you have that same process when you're testing I mean, I know you've, you've expanded into baked goods and small format, not small format, uh, like personalized printing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've kind of expanded the range of what you're offering. Are those done at, at the same, with the same process? Or is that a little bit more scrappy when it comes into the business? Yeah, it is scrappy when it comes in. It, it, um, it almost, uh, it sounds a bit strange, but it needs to fight for its place in a way. And once it gets a bit of a footing, then it, then it joins the process in a way. So our personalization journey is exactly that. I mean, we, we personalize a whole lot of stuff. But initially, 
we were we bought a it's called a laser engraver and it's um <clears throat> you know it, 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 it laser engraves on wood and leather and those kind of things and so we got a small range and the first whole lot of product that we send out was a bit risky you know how you know if you if you burn into wood if you burn too much you kind of break the wood if you don't burn enough you don't engrave it enough and we knew nothing about it so we played around a lot i can tell you in the first six months the amount of product we threw away we got an order made it and it didn't work we had to make it again and make it again um but i think i think we're okay with that in a way what, what we don't want it to do is affect the customers so whilst we won't spend a year testing we'll get it live We'll make the product and if it doesn't work, we'll make it again and we'll make it again and we'll make it again. So we'll burn through a lot of stock to get one right to send it off. Um, <clears throat> and we're, we're kind of okay with that. We're kind of okay with that test phase process. We don't want it to affect the customer, as I said. And then once we see traction, that's the hardest thing is what we're really trying to do, I guess, is the classic, what they call MVP, which has become a buzzword, is we're trying to validate that it's a good idea. And we don't think we can validate that in a boardroom anymore. We just, we just don't. Our, our gut, <clears throat> my gut has been wrong, I think, more often than right. What really? I thought would work. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. <clears throat> what it's I, interesting because from the outside, you know, like as an outsider looking at the business, you, you think that, that you guys have, have gotten more right than you have wrong. <clears throat> I, I, I'm not sure if, we've, if we haven't followed the, like the 70-30 principle that we failed at 70 and 30 have been right and the 30 that have been right has offset the 70 and so you land up with a business. And now we often have, um, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll give you a scenario, a recent scenario. We sell, um, we sell upsells. We call them upsells. It means nothing to a customer. But if you buy some flowers, if you buy a hamper, you can add a balloon or chocolates or cards, those kind of things, kind of thing in the checkout aisle at a supermarket, yes. right? So we sell that. And we used to have a page where we had the flowers on. I mean, almost half of our business now is not flowers, but I'll use flowers because it's easy. We had the flowers on. And then on the same page, we had the chocolates and balloons, etc. <clears throat> and I thought, hold on, this is so confusing for customers. They've got to select the flowers, the size of the flowers, the color. And now they've got to do this whole thing with an upsell. Let's give them a separate screen. So in between that page and the next page, we'll add another page and it'll be Here's your upsell page, right? And I, I was absolutely convinced that that made just intuitively it made so much sense. We spent six months building the dev, the tech, etc. It went live and it bombed, absolutely bombed. And we iterated it on it all the time. I thought, okay, page wasn't correct, so we changed the page, we changed this, we made it simpler, we made it harder, we did all sorts of stuff. And the only time we got upsells to grow again was when we put them back on the original page that I thought was cluttered. So I, I've made many mistakes like that. I think this is how it should be and this is what the customer would want. And it's very hard to ask customers. I mean, people always say, well, did you ask your customers? I think most people who ask that actually aren't in business because it's, it's that Henry Ford thing. If you'd asked people what they wanted then, they would have said they want a horse that poops less. Yeah. But nobody would have said they wanted a car, they know what it was. Very hard enough, very entrepreneurial space to say to customers, look, we want to do this thing. They don't even know what this thing is. You've actually got to show it to them Give them the opportunity to buy it and see if they buy it. That's, that's the only way customers really tell you what's going on. <clears throat> so we do a lot of stuff like that. We'll get stuff up, MVP it, and if it's viable and if we think it validated our assumptions, so then we'll slow down a bit and put the effort in. So I've got an interesting question. So you've got this kind of core business, um, you know, which is obviously generating all the revenue, revenue for you, and now you're doing all of these little sideline 
sideline projects um, that I mean, you said that you've grown more out of flowers. So your sideline projects are now kind of half or more of your business. Yeah. How do you how do you know when to cut? You know, like what is the how do you fund that, and what is the 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 point where you go? Well, I'm actually going to pull the plug on this, even though we've invested time and energy in it. Sure. I don't know that we have. Um... <clears throat> I don't know that we have a methodology for that. I think, I think we have some expectations when we go live with something. And if it doesn't meet our expectations and we've iterated enough, I think I've got two partners and the three of us will have many, many conversations about a project or different projects. <clears throat> and I think eventually one of us will say, look, um, you know, we've done everything we can. I mean, we, we, did this, we did this with retail. It was a big, um, it's actually the biggest failure we've ever had in our business. We went into retail. We decided like seven, eight years ago that we wanted to be in a physical space. We rationalized in our minds why it was a great idea, all sorts of different reasons why it made sense. <clears throat> we went into eight supermarkets, uh, shopping centers, sorry, and it bombed, like it bombed hard. And for a year, we tried to iterate, et cetera. And I think, you know, eventually we said, look, um, we could try and sweat this out and make it work, but what we thought we could do originally, when we aren't able to do, and we don't think we can change it to do something else, and it's just going to be um, better for the business that we cut because we're spending so much time and energy in that space. I, th I think what we, what we do quite well is we don't blame, and whilst it doesn't feel good, we don't harp on it and keep saying, oh, God, I can't believe we did that. We kind of moved along. Um, so once you cut it, you cut it, and you just move on to the next step. Yeah, I think between the three of us, I don't know what happens inside our business. You never know. You know, I have <laughs> no doubt a bunch of our teams thinking about that that idea that was the, the one. and blaming us. I have no doubt there are people inside of our business who thought we were complete idiots to try such a thing, and they told us it wouldn't work, which some people did. Of course, they never think about the other things they told us wouldn't work either. And those have worked. They don't yeah. say, "Oh, well, I got that right." <laughs> Employees generally ever say that. So, no, I'm sure I'm sure there were lots of people in our business that said, "Well, we told you, you know, why did you do that?" We we're thinking that, but between the three of us, we don't do that. That's the truth. And <clears throat> you know, if we if we try something, we try it, and if it doesn't work, we try something else. And um, yeah, I like I like that space, and I appreciate being in a partnership where there isn't blame. There isn't, you know, there isn't, and because of that, there isn't fear to try new stuff. You know. Um, who owns, so, so it sounds like you're still quite heavily involved in this new, like new development, new, is that, like who owns that in the, in the business? Is that what your leaders spend their time and energy Yeah, on? yeah. So we, we do, um, it sounds like quite a unique thing actually. Um, every Friday morning, the three of us meet for four hours. <clears throat> Unless something comes up or we're moving buildings in two weeks' time, so we won't be able to meet on that particular Friday. But, um, but otherwise, it's, it's pretty religious. And we spend our time talking about operational stuff, but actually most, um, we, we talk about new stuff and strategy. And we'll speak about the same thing for months before we activate it. And I think what we're trying to do is just <clears throat> is look at it from every different angle. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem with new is the trade-off. So there's two trade-offs. There's a financial trade-off because anything you do that's new, you have to invest in. Otherwise, you can't do it. 
and the time and the effort. So I think what we do is we spend a lot of time talking it through before we, we push go. When we push go, then we're only going to validate it. Then we're only doing an MVP to see if it works. But even that costs money. And even that takes your eye off the ball of other stuff. So, so I think that helps. We, we speak a lot about stuff. A lot, I mean, we just, we're moving premises now. I can tell you we spent a year talking about whether we should move premises. One year. For some partnerships that are driving them nuts. It would sound like we just procrastinate. Uh, hopefully it works for us. I don't know, but we, we chew stuff a lot. Sounds very interesting. It's almost like you're breaking the trend of what the, the, the Hollywood movie version of an internet company looks like, which is moving quickly, fail quickly, break as much as you can along the way. Yeah. And hopefully there's a billion users on the other side by the time you're done with all of that. <clears throat> yeah, we're, I, we felt like that in the first few years. Okay. Um, I wish the billion users was real. But... <laughs> but but yeah, I'm not sure we're an internet company. Eh? I, I, think, I think we're a retailer. I think, um, and as such, we, we just by default some of the rules that retailers follow. Margin. Um, we have to keep our cost line in check. It's hugely important. Um, we have to have the maturity of <clears throat> six or eight month product cycles. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that other mature internet companies do it differently because we're a retailer it does set us it does make us different to internet companies that are you know selling software selling it's a bit of a different thing because those business scale in a different way mm. you know we we sell a physical product we can't 10x we can't do that we can't fulfill it um so we there are some rules that we kind of follow i guess to make sure that at the end of the day we deliver what you order which is the reason why anybody uses us you know. And I suppose you're also operating in the internet, which is a very fickle space. So if you make a mistake, sure. people yeah. crucify you in the most public and brutal way. No question. And and competition is, I mean, it's a cliche, but it's a click away. I mean, you know, in, in the old days, you would kind of, if pick and pay was your closest supermarket, right? And checkers was 10 kilometers away. Can you imagine how much pick and pay would have to piss you off for you to drive the extra 10 kilometers to switch out? Yeah. You know, I mean, just, I don't think anybody would, right? <clears throat> but online, you just Google the next, you know, flower delivery center, and you'll just click on the next guy. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very fickle, mainly from that point of view. Is that the op the the ability to switch is it's as easy as staying. Actually, there's almost no transition. So that's it's scary for guys online to retain a customer. is really really tough. So and have you? I mean, what are the, <laughs> the lessons you've built up around that? 20 years of having customers. Do you have that data on people? Are you looking at that? Or? Yeah, we, we, we certainly do. We've got, a, <clears throat> we've got an, an interesting challenge in our business in terms of customer data because we, like most other businesses, we get consultants calling us all the time to say, you know, we database specialists will look at your database and segment your customers into 58 different slices and we'll tell you what this guy likes and this guy doesn't like and all those things. <clears throat> we've got a bit of it. We've got a, there's a nuance in our business which only exists really with gifting companies. So nobody else will care, care about the nuance. But if you deliver for your wife and you deliver red roses, very hard for us to say that you're a guy that loves red roses because three weeks later, you might need to send somebody, 
something to an employee of yours who's not well. So in other words, your, your transactions have little to do with each other, which is not the case for most businesses. So if you, know, if you buy pants from Zando online, well, you're a male, you're unlikely to be buying a skirt. And I think they can reasonably make that assumption. And the fact that you've bought pants means that you probably need a belt. In our business, we, don't, we can't make those connections, not as easily. So we have to work much harder <clears throat> to understand who our customers are if we're going to treat them uniquely. Let's put it that way. We don't have what are, what are classifies own consumption business kind of latitude in that. We just don't have that. So we have to profile you by events that are important to you in your life. And we spend a lot of time doing that so that if there's a birthday coming up on your Facebook feed that you'll hopefully see something from us. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. It's quite complex, though. I find that a very complex part of our business. Yeah. So, so you said earlier, like, well, in the beginning of the, the interview, that you, you, you know, you kind of, you don't see yourself so much as an online retailer, or you don't see yourself as a flower kind of person. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of wrestling with flowers and the internet as a as an entrepreneur? Like, what is that? You know, what are the the challenges you've had to overcome? As a business person in this space, um, sure, there's there's a lot of that. I, the maturity is definitely one thing. That's not. Um, I don't think that's something that's innate to me. I'm more comfortable kind of just making gut decisions, and then I'd, yeah, I've worked out you can't manage a business that way at all. Um, <clears throat> I have had to go a little bit deeper into. The production of flowers. How do I mean? We've just um, uh, we've just hired somebody in our business. Before that, we had a few people. Now we've hired a senior person who's kind of a quality control, and she's got degrees in botany. You know, because that's what we do. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bit weird, but yeah. you know, she's one of these people who's got temperatures controls all over our warehouse, and she's uh, measuring bacteria in the buckets of the water. And those are relevant things in our business, and they're not. They're not things I was ever trained on. They're not. My nature is not really to be astute with those kind of things. Luckily, I've got two partners, and we do we share the load. So <clears throat> one of them is has got fantastic attention to detail. So, but I've had to learn, as as he has, that whilst we kind of see ourselves as entrepreneurs, you know, our customers see us as a floral and gifting business, and you know, <laughs> we're not. We're not so selling your, generic your stuff. label is irrelevant <laughs> right. to someone on the website. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, when I, you know, I, I met, um, it was quite funny, I met somebody a while ago who I didn't know was a, quite a big customer of ours and got chatting with her and I said, are you going to the, um, the, uh, the Gerbera show? Um, you know, it's in the Eastern Cape, I think. Said, uh, I, I tried not to sound stupid. I said, uh, uh, no, not this year. So, you know, you know, and then I, you know, there's like this massive Gerber show, the Barberton's in the Barberton area, Barberton Daisies and whatever. And, you know, he just assumed, well, of course I'd be there, you know, in flowers, why wouldn't yeah. I be there? And I didn't even know it existed. So, kind of makes the point. But, is there someone in your organization that does know it exists? Um, yes, there yes. is. There, there is. There is. But I'm not sure they went. <laughs> but yeah, they are. No, we've got, uh, we've got a team of, We've got quite a lot of merchandising department, about 30 people who are just, all they do is focus on merchandising and 
about 10 of those are florals. So yeah, they, they people who understand the nature of flowers. I'm not one of them. And they know that. I mean, I, you know, I, if, I, if I say anything in a meeting that's related to specific flower, everybody kind of laughs because they know, you know, I've made that up. So, but that's... <laughs> but, <laughs> What can I do? But your profile photo, you are almost always photographed holding a flower. I know, it's really, it's really, I mean. Is that just the PR people doing their PR? Yeah, thing? and also, you know, if, if we're on the cover of a magazine or something like that, they want flowers. And that's good for us. It's, yeah. oh, I, 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 I've got no desire to. hold whatever bunch of flowers they have pre-selected for you to hold. Yeah, and, and I've got no desire to be profiled as anything other than their florist. I don't think I am anything other. You know, I'm not, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I haven't bought and sold many businesses. So it would be false to have me in a suit and tie, you know, in front of the JSE. That would be ridiculous. Uh, you know, we've got a one business. That's what we do. We, we feel we're entrepreneurial inside of that business. But that is the profile, and that's what works for the brand, and that's fine with me. Um, I, I'm going to jump onto brand in one second, but I'd love to just understand how you've managed to maintain a partnership for... 20 years <laughs> like you know you've, you've talked a little bit about the meeting you have every yeah. Friday like what goes into keeping a partnership alive for 20 years so yeah so um, it's, a, it's a little bit shorter because actually the, my two partners um, funded the business originally and they weren't operationally involved for a while and they came back about it's about 12 years so it's 12 yeah. years really effectively as an, yeah. as an operational partnership um, <clears throat> I can only speak for me. Uh, firstly, I like them. That, that's good. I find them very ethical, which is good. And uh, I trust them, and I trust that they'll do what they said they would do. And that's important. Um, I, think, I think we're quite different. Um, uh, my one partner is um, very, um, he's quite, quite visionary. Uh, my other partner is extraordinarily talented at attention to detail. I don't know where I fit in, so I can't speak about me. <clears throat> but but the two, having, having two people who are in some ways opposite, but same values, has been fantastic for me. Um, I think ultimately we just, I think we like each other. I think that helps. And we've never, don't think we've done anything to erode trust or anything like that. So, and it's been a, it's, it hasn't been the most extraordinary journey. Netflores is hard. It's not an easy business. It's, um, we employ now 450 people. It's operationally very complex to deliver, often a very perishable good. <clears throat> Cost of acquisition on, online is just is exorbitant. I mean, Google is getting more and more expensive and taking more and more of the market. That's another discussion. So it's not easy. It's, it's hardly, and we work hard. We're, we're not you know, shareholders who are out of the business. We are in the business all day. So it's not easy. Um, but, I, I, but I think it's been a good journey for the three of us um, from, a, from a relationship point of view. I think it's been good. And it, please God, it'll continue to be good. Can you guys still hang out on the weekend? <clears throat> um, not that much. We see each other a lot. So, no, we're not. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting a car and drive. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't, I don't think we've ever been that, and I think that's fine. I mean, you know, we know about each other's lives by nature, but we, we weren't schoolmates who started a business. We weren't that. So you know, I, I, that's been healthy for me. I don't know. I've got examples, people you'll know as well, who 
you know, when you're mates and you start a business, when the partnership dissolves, it's near impossible to keep that friendship. So there's always that on the line, and that's that's quite hard. So I've I've never had that. Yeah, it is. It is. Already complex. Yeah, and the wives know each other, and the kids know each other. It's complicated. So we don't have that. We know each other, and they're definitely friends of mine, but we don't go joining on a Saturday. It's not like that. Do you go joining on a Saturday? No. No, not not since I had kids. (laughs) Occasionally, like once every two months, but generally we're exhausted. So, so I want to I want to circle back to to kind of brand. Um, you know, it's an interesting one. You, um, you know, got a, a branding company, and when you did your naming, you did the the one thing that works really well in the beginning, but has potential long long standing uh, problems in the thing, and you called yeah. yourself after the the initial product that you were selling. So, so tell me about how you came up with Net Florist and how you're dealing with that brand in a in a company that doesn't necessarily sell as many flowers as it does do other yeah other things so the reason why we came up with that brand was because we never intended to have a business so the original company the internet company was called net active and so it just made sense to call this test case net florist and that was it and it was only after i would say like six seven years that we started to think hold on we're going to want to expand the product range and it yeah. may not just be flowers. And um, you know, what do we do about that? And we had many discussions. I mean, really many. And the problem is every year that you delay that decision, it's impossible. It becomes harder and harder because yeah, the equity in the brand. More equity, right. more recognition. Yeah. So in hindsight, I would probably think that it was correct in hindsight because I think the benefit that we got in the short term was overwhelmingly valuable. I mean, in it, just to give you a sense of what the e-commerce landscape looked like when we started. So we started in 99. There were very few e-commerce companies. But by 2001, I'd, I'd started a forum. It's called the South African Forum for E-Tailers. And in 2001, there were 120 companies that joined the forum. That sounds bizarre. It's so long ago. But there were 120 guys in South Africa, women, who were selling, um, selling online. In 2003, there were 11 left. When there was a bit of a crash, not a bit, there was a huge crash in 2002. (laughs) And almost nobody survived. And it was because it was just so hard to acquire a customer. And the benefit we had in some ways was search engines. Because in the early days, and we didn't know any of this, in the early days, search engines were very rudimentary. And you, you scored very highly if you had the name of the thing that somebody was searching in your URL. I mean, it sounds silly, right? But that's how it was. And I don't know that, I don't know what we would have been able to do in the early days to offset that. We didn't know anything about SEO. There were no, I mean, in 2003-04, I don't remember anybody saying, look, you have to have these things called meta tags. And I don't, nobody knew anything about that. It was just, well, are you coming up on the search engine or aren't you? <laughs> like, like nobody knew how to affect that yet. And there was no AdWords. You couldn't bid. They, they hadn't started yet. So I, I think we got a fair amount of customers from, it wasn't Google yet. It was AltaVista and Webcrawl and all those funny names and like costs. And, um, what was it, Netstar? Netstar? Net. What was the Net one? There was a local one. was a Nunzi, which people oh, used in those. Nancy. Remember Nunzi? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> which people actually used. So, Netscape. Netscape, that's it, yeah, yeah, Andreessen. So I think that um, 
I think that the benefit that we got there allowed us to survive, actually. And um, so there, wouldn't, there would have been no discussion thereafter. Um, but it did become a very complicated discussion when we started getting to gifts. And I mean, now we sell personalized t-shirts. Like, yeah, it's very far from Nick Florist. But it's a commercial decision, actually. We've decided, we've taken a decision. We don't have that debate anymore. Uh, we put it to bed about four years ago. The decision was a simple one. What's going to be more expensive? To rebrand or to tell people that NetFlorist does more than flowers? And we took a decision with our agency that it's going to be cheaper to do the latter. So that was it. It wasn't that that made the decision. And yeah, that horse is bolted now. Um, so NetFlorist. Yeah. I know for a while you were experimenting with like net gifts and gifts. Has that all fallen away? Yeah, just that, like now my other brand. That was, that was another one of our fails. So we created these brands, net gift and net perfume and net jewelry or whatever. And, and we thought that these brands kind of could exist in the market. And the only place they existed were in our heads. Nobody else. <laughs> I mean, they're really. And there was, you know what I mean? We thought, and we put a bit of money behind them, et cetera. Yeah. But like if somebody bought, you know, a personalized chopping board from us, and the tab on the site happened to say net gifts, and you asked them where did they shop, they'd say net florist. We just couldn't, Shit, we couldn't break into that. Yeah, so we stopped. Yeah, that was that's an example of cut. Eventually, we like, just couldn't how stop. How much of this is is ego? You know, like if if it if it exists in your customer's mind, right. and they're happy with it. Right. Does it like does it really matter if you if you don't like the name or feel whatever about it because? At the end of the day, if they're coming and knocking on your door, that's all you, all you really need or want. I, th I think so. And I'm not, you know, the, the case studies are interesting because there's so many examples both ways. I mean, they're, they're, they're examples of like Woolworths is a classic example, right? <clears throat> so, you know, what on earth do, does poor, poor and, you know, milk got to do with the name Woolworths? Got nothing to do with it. Then you could offset that and say, yeah, but it's easier for them to cross sell because you're in the store and you see it. There are all sorts of examples. Then I remember there was a famous example about um, it was Holiday Inn and and um, big brand in America bought them, um, and they they split the brands because they they wanted the one to be expensive and the other one to be cheap, and that worked well for them. And then it stopped working well because people got confused. They were like, "Is this this brand or that brand?" And uh, it's Holiday Inn, and there was some other something in uh, Road in is it City Lodge. No, the mother brand in America is a different name. I've forgotten it. But it gets really complicated because, like, you know, the CEO speaks somewhere and he introduces himself as who? And if he introduces himself as, like, the holding company, well, nobody knows that name. So it, and employees don't know who they're working for. It gets complicated. So <clears throat> I don't know what the answer is. There is obviously often reasons to have a separate brand, good reasons. And I think there are reasons sometimes to have the same brand. And, um, and it's also budgetary... Restraint. I mean, if you're, you know, if you bid vest and you're launching a new company and you want to call it something else, you've got the funds to do it. They don't do that, but other companies would. But if you don't have the funds to manage multiple brands, you're going to mess it up, which is what we were doing when we launched these other brands. Yeah. Gifts. It's just, not only multiple brands, it's multiple marketing strategies. It's everything, multiple, right? Like, everything. I mean, I think you really have to be a large company to do that. And if you're a, and even large companies, I mean, you know, Amazon, you know, they, they hold them other brands. So, but yeah, if you don't have the funds and the focus and the appetite for a long road, uh, I think multiple brands is tough. I think it's tough. Well, certainly proved too fast. Um, so, so just before we started recording, we were just talking a little bit about uh, kind of 
what you're doing outside of um, you know, Flowist. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your your course that you're giving at Gibbs and, and yeah. how you got into that and what it's all about? Yeah, so just, I, I mean, when I say I do stuff out of NetFlorist, it's really like after hours because I'm not, I'm not one of those I'm not one of those entrepreneurs who have side businesses or anything like that. NetFlorist is what I do. Um, but I've been, um, I've been on the kind of the, 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 the conference circuit for a long time. Um, firstly, we've been around for a long time. So when you have an e-commerce conference or something like that, um, like fortunately the people who put it together think of NetFlorist, which is nice. Also being in Joburg, we're like almost only e-commerce left company left here. So if the conference is, everybody's in Cape Town, no, almost everybody, there's like nobody here. So, so I do a lot of conference gigs and I enjoy it. Uh, for whatever reason, it could be ego. I'm sure it is ego. Um, <clears throat> I, like, I like talking about our story and I enjoy it and I enjoy the questions and the answers and those kinds of things. And so I kind of thought, could I take that further a little bit and formalize it a bit more? So um, uh, I do a bit of work at Gibbs for conferences and I approached him last year to see if I could run some courses. Um, they call them masterclasses. So I ran one last year, which was fun. It was a full day on e-commerce. I'm running one again this year on more UX, that kind of side. And um, it's quite hard work because a conference, you can just show up. But, <laughs> but a masterclass, you have to prepare. People are paying for it. So you actually have to put in some effort and some work and give good value. Um, but I enjoy the pressure and I enjoyed last year and I've done a few others. And um, yeah, it's like a nice space for me. But it's not, a, it's not in any way kind of a replacement or it's just um, you know, following a bit of a passion, I guess you could say. And I don't know where it'll lead. I'm not sure, but I, I like that space for whatever reason. So you're just sort of sharing, <coughs> sharing the lessons and the journeys that you've gone on. It's, yeah, it's mostly experience share. I mean, I do bring some theory into it, although theory in e-commerce is kind of um, changes fast, but it's a lot of experience share. And I kind of say that up front. I'm not a professor. I'm not an educator. I'm nothing like that. Uh, but I, I have 20 years experience in the field. And if you want to start an e-commerce company now, I can tell you the do's and the don'ts. I'll be right about some and wrong about some, but I can give you what to write down just from experience, nothing else. Yeah. So it sounds like you've kind of taken your EO journey and packaged it up and turned it into a little bit of an experience for other people to join. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Look, we'll see. I mean, people have to sign up for the next class. If nobody, <laughs> if nobody signs up, it's, you know, Maybe there goes my, you know, my sideline career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, but look, I've got a family. I've got two kids. They're my complete focus. So the truth is most of my time is at work or there. And, that's, and yeah, you know. And now tell me, I mean, just, just to sort of close it all out, you've been running this business for 20 years. Do you think you'll be going another 20? Like, have you guys started any kind of succession planning or anything like that? Or is it still too early? Early in the journey. <clears throat> it does feel too early in the journey, even though it's 20 years, which sounds mad. No, we don't have succession plans. <clears throat> we don't have exit plans. We, because it's, it's wholly owned, we don't have um, external shareholders. It's nothing like that. So, yeah, we, uh, we kind of, I mean, we, we do feel a little bit like we're in startup mode a lot because we do come up with new ideas and we go through that MVP process. So it, it still feels quite entrepreneurial. So I enjoy that. Um, yeah, I don't know what the future holds. 
Um, but it's definitely net florist. It's definitely net florist. Yeah. Okay. Did you see? I just slotted the. I like slotted thank the you. URL. In thank there. you. Thank you. <laughs> we do have the dot com. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, thank you very much. I appreciate. It. I enjoy your kind of very intentional thought that you put into a lot of things you do in your business. Um, and thank you for giving us the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was lucky to be here. So, so you guys have been listening to this episode of Radio, which is a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. If you are an entrepreneur and you need a little bit of love and support and more conversations like the one you just heard, go to eonetwork.org and you can find out everything you need to know. Quick shout out to our sponsors, Budvest, McCarthy and Exec Care. You guys are the most amazing companies next to Netflast. Um, <laughs> and I could ask that if you've enjoyed this, um, please will you pass it on to to somebody who you think might benefit from from getting it. So thank you very much, and we'll catch you guys in the, the next one. Cool. Thanks, Russ.